Welcome to Career in Ruins, where this is our final episode of season four. hasn't it it has flown by but um yeah i, I, I don't know if i'm ready for the end i know <laughs> it's, it's we seem to have crammed a lot of episodes in a very short period so, so previously we might have a week off or maybe even two weeks off yeah we were alarmingly regimented this time i'm not i'm not so sure about it i like the dribs and drabs approach <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's particularly impressive considering how busy we've been outside of podcast land but uh, i've loved this season i'm not mm. gonna lie there's been a pretty clear theme that's ran through the season what people we met in the tea room at time team <laughs> yes yes but what regular listeners will be pleased to know is that we've moved away from that, that, that yes. rich theme of input and actually deliberately tracked down a, a researcher who who we've bumped into in the past and we're very excited i'm, I'm really i mean you say that but this is this is almost a flashback to our first season where we were just approaching people we worked with <laughs> Shut up, Derek. welcome to career and ruins where we're turning back the clock to season one <laughs> but thankfully we work with some incredible people yes, so that'll be really yeah. nice well well be recovered really nice. yeah well saved <laughs> oh so how have you been buddy yeah i'm good thank you mate i've just got back from a couple of days in the forest of dean so there's a fantastic project that's literally just coming to an end there called hmm. forester's forest okay and the forest of dean is just mega in terms of um sort of natural history cultural history um built built heritage as well and and historic environment we you know how we talk about landscape as a resource mm, and it yeah, shapes yeah. people and people shaped it and that that is a really textbook example and ignoring its royal hunting for sort of links i'm done with that sort of stuff <laughs> been there done that yeah but <laughs> even with mining that's taking place there mm. still today and dating all the way back to the roman periods possibly even prehistory mm-hmm. um but uh, yeah that, that was a great great couple of days away looking at great outputs from an amazing landscape partnership scheme i must admit i've got very fond memories of the forest of dean it was where we went on an a-level geology field trip when oh, I was like, a young lad Simmons, yeah. and it was it was residential as well so it was um it was a little bit boozy for a bunch of 17 year olds uh, <laughs> it was a little bit boozy uh, but it was an incredible place but you said you sent me a picture today or i saw you tweeted a picture of a stained glass window somewhere yeah that? well this is why i love the forest of dinks it works on so many levels of awesomeness but there's a um arts trail and a sculpture trail that you can go on and and this morning i thought i'd get up early have breakfast and go for a walk before uh, i have my meetings and just down the road from where i was staying there was the um one of the installations for this this sculpture sculpture um trail and it's called the cathedral cathedral sculpture and it's a giant and I, by giant I'm, I, i'd probably say what was it, it was about 10 meters long and, mm. and probably seven meters wide stained glass window with depicting an image of of the forest of dean so there's a felled mm. tree there's some deer there's some bracken there's the hills it's beautiful absolutely beautiful 
it struck me because when when you see kind of a, a ruined cathedral or a ruined church, a ten a penny um, in post Reformation Britain, um, but you're so used to seeing the stonework with no glass, so it was it was almost unsettling <laughs> yeah. to see a window stood proudly alone with with nothing else around Just floating. it. Floating, yeah. yeah, it's pretty spectacular, and uh, yeah, that that sort of kicked off a day of looking at. Um, oh, actually, fun fact: Ooh. we went to an ironworks. This is the site that predates. Ironbridge Gorge. So you know how Ironbridge are like, oh, we made the first industrialization of iron. Oh, we're so important. Love us. <laughs> wrong. Wrong. Oh, we're a world heritage site. I genuinely hope for listeners, but carry on. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I think you'll find what happened was uh, a very bright chap down in the Forest Dean worked out about adding tungsten to uh, to steel and improving its strength. And uh, and then someone came along and stole the idea because he didn't, I mean, he's a bit of a plonker and didn't. Didn't put a copyright on it. Ah. But, um, and then, so yeah, our friends that are Sheffield Steel and all that lot sort of pinched the idea and made their millions and he ended up fairly oh. poor off. So the secret origin point of the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, Forrester Dean. You heard it here there first. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, that's that's my highlight. What about <laughs> you? What's caught your attention? How you been? I've been good, yeah. I'm plodding away at work, doing the usual stuff. But uh, there's some, some archaeology in the news this week and it's that special kind of archaeology oh. where it's... Not about Stonehenge. It's not about Stonehenge. <laughs> no, the discovery of Shackleton's ship Endurance, oh, which is quite yeah. quite exciting. So archaeologists teaming up with various other scientists have been out and about and and identified its its final resting spot. And I believe, rather than anything sort of being recovered, it's going to be kind of monitored and watched um, over over a long period of time. But really interesting and seeing the pictures, it's got a very haunting time capsule quality to it which is it's quite exciting the pictures are beautiful so that that, that sunk 107 years ago yeah. 1915 the story in its own right of it getting stuck and then the crewmates and Shackleton's adventure of trying to stay alive at least and and some of them surviving and getting back and getting back to Argentina coming back to pick up some of the people that didn't get away in the live raft but amazing story amazing bit of history there's something so tantalizing about maritime and underwater archaeology and I, I i must confess i spent at least 40 minutes today googling how to become a diver so i can go and see some underwater <laughs> stuff <laughs> is that because you've got potential exciting projects on the books there well people i know have very exciting projects and i'm hoping that maybe you and i can go along and Ooh. uh and film what they're getting up to but watch this space we can learn to dive i think we should but yeah for our listeners benefit you and i spoke 10 minutes later and decided that actually maybe we should learn in greece yeah logical right <laughs> yeah yeah a little bit warmer a little bit nicer off the dorset coast or off one of the nice greek beaches out that way <laughs> oh, that wouldn't be terrible would it now I suspect our listeners are probably sick of our voices by now because they had to endure a podcast with just the two of us last week, which I'm still recovering from myself. So should we bring our guest in? Yes, very much so. I am very, very pleased to say that today we're joined by Dr. Awa Karobi, who I worked with at Bournemouth a few years ago, an incredible colleague. And we've been trying to get a podcast to work since the last season and various things got in the way and a pandemic and other such things. Um, so it's really nice to round out this season four with Awa. Thank you for joining us, Awa. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> uh, now, um, in terms of introductions, you are a bioanthropologist and you're currently associated with both Bordeaux and Bournemouth, all the bees. You mentioned that you'd heard the podcast before. So we may as well 
jump straight in and could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, as you said, I am a bioanthropologist and I um, I started uh, in archaeology. So uh, back mm-hmm. uh, to Syria and University of Damascus where I started uh, my uh, studies in the university. I chose archaeology and then um, someone from France, a researcher, came to Syria and uh, he did uh, a workshop about uh, archaeothanatology and I wasn't aware of the word, what was it? (laughs) (laughs) So it was so interesting and I was so fascinated by this approach. So then I get the chance to come to France and years later, I did my PhD with this uh, researcher. Oh, wow. And this is how I became a bioanthropologist. <laughs> That's incredible. So could you, you, you mentioned archaeothanatology, and um, yes. obviously Lawrence and I know exactly what it means. But um, <laughs> for the benefit of our listeners, could you, could you give a brief outline of what archaeothanatology is? Yes, it is also what we call the archaeology of uh, death or funerary archaeology. It's uh, this uh, field which is interested in human bones, but with the taphonomy of the uh, human bones uh, in the graves itself, how the uh, cadaver uh, uh, decomposed, uh, the process that uh, happened inside the grave until the moment that we opened the grave and started to uh, excavate it. So what we see sometimes, it's not exactly what happened in the beginning or what was uh, aimed in the beginning, in the moment of burying the dead. So the archaeothanatology is the field of following this process in details. Yes. Fantastic. And you mentioned you started out in archaeology first. What was it that got you? What was your first experiences of archaeology? Field work, <laughs> <laughs> which is something that I really love. Mm. Now, archaeology for us in Syria back to 2000, mm-hmm. now I feel very old. <laughs> it was a very new department in the country. Uh, we had a department of history, but we didn't have department of archaeology. So archaeology was very new. And uh, I was really fascinated by the fact of really excavating and not only reading books in history. (laughs) I love reading, but I wasn't really very strong in history itself, theoretical history. But uh, this is why I really... I jumped in the the Department of Archaeology and I wanted to, to, to do this. So a much more practical approach to investigation as opposed to yeah being desk bound and and looking at exactly. literature. Exactly. And so that that early period as you jumped into that initial archaeology department in Damascus, what what sort of field work were you undertaking? What 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 was I imagine there were just no I can't imagine the sort of incredible things <laughs> you were you were investigating but perhaps you can give me an insight. <laughs> Yes, um, it was an incredible experience, to be honest, first, because it was um, the first time I was uh, discovering this area of Syria, north of Syria. I am from Damascus, the capital, and um, my sister has a friend who was also archaeologist, and she used to work in a site in northern Syria with the borders uh, with Turkey. And she told me, come. You can come with us and you can just try what is it, the archaeology. So uh, we took a bus eight hours 
and we arrived to <laughs> Raqqa. And then from there, uh, they picked us to the site in the middle of nowhere. That was the best part about it, I think. And I discovered what is an archaeological site. It's site of um, what we call a detail, which is kind of mm -hmm. uh, a mount in Arabic. Uh, so you can see the sites from far. And then when you arrived, it's just like the huge archaeological sites. And it was a Neolithic a village, burned village. So everything was really um, well preserved. The site called uh, Sabi Abiyad, um, excavated by Peter Ackermans. And uh, they continued working until uh, 2010, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and the site is just like an amazing uh, settlement uh, of Bronze Age also. And it is the Bronze Age became later my uh, period of interest. So was it this site that got you first interested in the Bronze Age? To be honest, this site gets me interested in the... Um, field work and in general in the anthropology a little bit because uh, I excavated the uh, human bones in this site sometimes, not all the time. But Bronze mm. Age, uh, my interest in Bronze Age came later. To be honest, I felt in love with this region, the uh, Syrian Jazeera, north of Syria. And in this area, you have a lot of um, Bronze Age settlements. And this is how I found myself loving the uh, Bronze Age settlements. And I excavated several ones. I joined several teams in this area later. And uh, I just loved it. This might be a really silly question, and apologies if it is, but is, is the Bronze Age in Syria comparable to the Bronze Age in, in Europe or in Britain? Or is, is it earlier? Or how does that time frame work? The Bronze Age in um, in Western Asia, what we used to call it Near East, is starting in the 3200 BC, and it is basically the discovery of uh, writing. So that's why it's the Bronze Age. So it's a little bit um, older than what we know in uh, Europe, mm -hmm. but uh, the cultural materials is a little bit similar but what is interesting about the bronze age in uh, this area is like you have this model of uh, tells with upper city lower city uh, fortified with uh, double fortifications you have in the upper city you have the big buildings the most important buildings like the royal palace uh, the religious uh, um, buildings and in the upper city you have the houses and uh, sometimes the graves if they are not out of the city itself so it's kind of organization an amazing organization for this time of period you're just like every time mm. it's just like so fascinating yeah it sounds like amazing complexity and I guess amazing sites to dig. And I I, I suspect, I, I, knowing a lot of our listeners are sort of UK and North American based, the, the scale of stratigraphy on tell sites must be quite different to what, what we'd be used to here. Whereas a, the odd Iron Age ditch or the uh, a bit of a, a foundation for a Roman villa. And then you've got tell sites with sometimes meters of stratigraphy, don't you? So was, was this site similar? It had layer after layer after layer of activity. Yes, it's, it's basically this, you are right. You should always follow the stratigraphy. You have layers and layers. At the end of the season, when you start to draw your section, you're just like, oh 
my god. <laughs> <laughs> I should have talked slower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a huge size. Sometimes you can talk about 13, 40 hectares. So it depends. You have different scale size. But of course, most of the time you are not excavating the whole area at the same time. But uh, yeah, and for to give you just an idea, a silly idea. Sometimes we used to really to talky walkie to to connect to talk with other people to call them for the breakfast because <laughs> wow. we couldn't really see them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. So you, you mentioned these are big mounds that are visible in the landscape. So obviously we've got hundreds, if not thousands, of years of occupation just built up and built up and built mm. up and and just appeared as a large, large visible. <laughs> huge earthwork in its own right is, is that a fair statement yes yeah they are i know we've got derek you pointed a few lumps and bumps out in greece previously but i don't think they 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 certainly the ones you've pointed out to me aren't as big as they're, they're not not quite on the same scale in greece they're, they're sometimes referred to as tell type sites um, yeah but i think that's their yeah. name is um uh, magula sites which means cheek which is probably more of the scale so it's a, a cheek shaped mound <laughs> Incredible. So your your PhD, are what, what what was that focusing on? On these sites. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> part of part of. To be honest, for my PhD, I wanted mm. to do something about the Calcolithic period, which is a transition period. I wanted to know what mm. happened exactly just before this organization in the Bronze Age. But to be honest, it was just a problem of materials. We didn't have a lot of uh, human bones from Calcolithic. So I wanted to do Calcolithic and beginning of a Bronze Age just to see what is happening. But we couldn't have uh, enough materials to do a PhD from only Calcolithic. So we did Calcolithic and Bronze Age, even to the Middle Bronze Age. So my PhD was about two sites in northern Syria, one called Talhamukar, directed by uh, Clemens from the um, uh, United States and uh, Canada University. And the other side, the main side was uh, Tel Mozan. Who knows me very well knows that Aroa means Mozan. <laughs> and I promised last time that I will I will stop talking about Mozan, but I'm still working <laughs> and finding things from Mozan. So I apologize once again. <laughs> but no, Mozan is, is the main site of my research. It is... Um, a settlement from the Bronze Age, very well preserved, directed by Professor Pucciolati from the Los Angeles uh, University with uh, Marilyn Kelly Pucciolati, also his wife. So, um, yeah, my PhD was about the archaeotanatology funerary practices in these two sites to see what is happening in the transition period and to characterize these populations uh, from um, a biological point of view. Fantastic. I mean, that sounds incredible. And was that based in Bordeaux? Yes, yes. Because I moved to Bordeaux when I wanted to do the archaeotanatology, the biological anthropology. I, I moved see, to Bordeaux yeah, yeah. with the scholarship from Damascus and then I stayed there. So I did my PhD with uh, Henri Doudet, who is the fundator of the archaeotanatology. He's still working uh, active in the field and especially in Pompeii and Italy, and the cremation, mm -hmm. which is not my field. But uh, <laughs> yes, it was in Bordeaux University. So how is it, first time I met you, it was at Bournemouth a couple of years ago, yeah. where, where you were undertaking your postdoctoral research, is that right? Exactly, exactly. I joined the team um, 
of Bournemouth. It was my first British uh, academic experience because I uh, moved to England uh, for a postdoc with uh, Holger mm -hmm. uh, in the project called uh, Hexus Enigma, funded uh, by the ERC with the collaboration um, from um, Vienna University, Manfred Bietek. And what sort of things were you looking at as part of that research? I was looking at the paleopathological stuff. So basically, we had our main site called Teledaba, which is Avaris, an ancient uh, kingdom in um, Egypt. And we wanted to know who were the Hyksos. This is the famous uh, question. We wanted to know where do they come from and if they came from another region or if they were local, in which period they uh, moved, if they moved. And my role was to uh, do the paleopathological investigations. So I had to look uh, at activity markers, injuries, uh, indicators of stress, of oral health. This was my um, second postdoc and this is where I worked more on paleopathology investigations. So paleopathology is the, the study of how people die, is that correct? Kind of. It's uh, if we can tell, because sometimes this is the tricky thing about the paleopathology. So because you have a lot of disease that you can't really see on the bones. So mm. sometimes we are studying a, a skeleton and we say that oh, everything is perfect, but we can't really tell why did he uh, or she died. Uh, but let's say aim of the paleopathology is to study the diseases, the ancient diseases, if there is the cause of the death, and if we have any other injuries, violence, for example, for some uh, sites. It depends on the sites also. Oh, an incredibly interesting thing to study, though. And can you give us any any insights into the uh, the outcomes of the project? Any any key discoveries or key interpretations? We have many many of uh, these uh, interpretation. Uh, the main one. Uh, um, let's keep it for the main site of Teledaba, uh, which is in Egypt. Uh, where uh, my colleague also, Chris Dantes from Bournemouth University, she did the mm. isotopes uh, studies. And uh, we had our we had a meeting just a uh, few hours before this, <laughs> 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 talking about all the results uh, presenting the DNA isotope, uh, the metric and non-metric uh, dental traits. And what we found that in this region, there was a huge movement of people walking around, moving around. No borders at that time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> people were really moving uh, from area to another and they were mixing each other. And that explains why we have sometimes uh, types of funerary practices, for example, in this site, but not in the site next to it, which can sometimes come with this group who came from other sites only to this site. Know what I mean? Yeah, yes. no, that's fantastic and, and incredible results. And you, you mentioned Chris Dantis, who obviously was on series one, I think, of Career and Ruins. And um, I met you both when you were uh, working in the team at, at Bournemouth. And whenever we interview someone or whenever we discuss anything on the podcast, I tend to scribble notes that are largely useless because my handwriting is terrible. Um, but as you were talking, I just kind of scribbled down, yes. I miss Holger. And you mentioned Holger's name. And um, you're referring, of course, to Holger. Uh, Shudkowski, who was um, one of my colleagues for a number of years at Bournemouth, who sadly passed away um, during mm. the COVID pandemic. And 
it's it's so nice to imagine his legacy carrying on through the people he worked with and and it's so nice to think about him to be honest yeah it's the second time that we are thinking about him today we mentioned him in the webinar that we had a few hours ago mm -hmm. and yes if i can just say something it's holger is the one who really taught me what is the holistic approach of anthropology why should mm. we think about every small detail and put it all together and he was uh, also uh, fascinated by uh, by the archaeology in uh, in Syria because uh, mm. we he excavated in Syria back uh, years ago and we were uh, having our discussions about uh, experience in the field work in the middle of nothing under the sun the crazy uh, hours of working so yes cheers to holger oh, yeah definitely. and and a very good pub quiz teammate i should say as well. <laughs> oh <laughs> i yeah. didn't know that <laughs> yeah we uh myself and holger along with harry manley and nivian um we would often be on a pub quiz team and uh, he uh it often surpassed people like miles russell and paul cheatham so we were quite happy on that approach <laughs> 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 Ah, oh, cheers to Holger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but you've, you've talked through some incredible aspects of your career, Awa. But is there, is there one element or one thing that you're particularly proud of? Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my journey, to be mm. honest, is something that I'm proud of. I will, I will tell a story more about more than um, my feelings. Mm -hmm. I remember my first class in France when I arrived to do my master and uh, we were uh, for four hours class. I finished the class, I went back home and my partner asked me, so how was it? I was like, I think that it was something about datation and chronology, but <laughs> I have no idea what was it about. <laughs> so I remember sitting in the classes really understanding nothing from the French language mm -hmm. aspect and it was the idea of the system it was completely different from Syria mm -hmm. and of I'm course. proud now to say that I wrote my PhD in French wow. and that uh, that um, but yeah I started from almost zero but a lot of people were there to help me and I will never ever forget these people because really without them I will never be here today. So this is something that I'm proud of. It's my journey from um, Syria to France and I think that it would be something that will stay for a while. Mm. I mean it's just a very very sensible thing to be proud of. I mean speaking to two stereotypical Brits who can barely get by in one language and you're writing a PhD in a second language and now talking to us in a third language which mm -hmm. is I cannot wrap my head around it so yeah what a journey yeah, yeah that's incredible and that's certainly something to be rightly proud of I think my, my French ability is somewhat comparable to uh, the the flight of the Concords um approach to uh, French. I don't know if you, you've seen that, Awa, but the basically GCSE French of being able to say la bibliothèque and birth and soup, soup de jour. 
Jacques Cousteau pour la bonne passeport. So going on from Pride then, um, oh, obviously you've had this very rich career of seeing and working and researching so many interesting sites and and time periods is there anything in that time that you've you've come across that you've been envious of whether that's a piece of research that you weren't involved with or a site that you didn't get to excavate anything like that preservation <laughs> <laughs> i hate preservation <laughs> no i mean um yes i think this is Something I think because we were talking about uh, some sites that uh, they are amazing and very well, and how do you say that um, very rich. But uh, that you arrive, you see the bones, and the bones are just like, what can I do with this? <laughs> it's just like small fragments. Nothing can come from this, and you just like you know that you are passing. Um, uh, how do you say that you are missing a lot of information because of the preservation so i think this is something that i don't really like in <laughs> in my field but uh, yeah i i had to admit also that i couldn't join some excavations programs not because of my um um research profile but it's because of the visa silly questions and I hate that also because it's uh, not so fun. <laughs> but yeah. Of course, yeah, restrictions outside of your own yes. control are going to be hugely frustrating. Or sometimes it takes <laughs> ages and then you can't really get the visa at time to join the team. So then you just said, like, sorry, <laughs> take someone else. So yeah. <laughs> oh, missed opportunities. Yeah, that's a good thing to be envious of yeah. for sure. <laughs> With all of this in mind then we, we've we've slowly meandered our way towards the final question of the podcast and that's that's the, the one around the time machine so Derek and I have, have booted up our time machine for the last time this season and we've got our last our final return tickets ready here for you our one we just we'd love to know what you'd like to go and look at what you'd like to see and, and why that is in my career you mean no 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 anywhere in history in time in archaeological history so oh, any sites oh any um, time periods we can move in location we can we can take multiple stops so if it for example if it was one of your tell sites we could stop through multiple time periods to see the rate of growth in those Ooh. sites oh this is very difficult to choose God. <laughs> <laughs> but it this will sound very cliche but i think that i would like to go to egypt back to the middle bronze ages and see how did they do what all they did take the time to appreciate all these uh, knowledge that they had because it is our last trip and um derek and i can be pretty liberal with the with the, the time machine juice that powers our uh powers our time <laughs> machine um, it's, it's not electricity or gas that's, so it's fine. Say, I'm very unclear on the physics of how this is working <laughs> it's fine basically it's, it's, it's the the current price hikes around the energy crisis aren't relevant to our time machine okay fair I, enough. I think it runs on enthusiasm and overexcitement. excitement <laughs> 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 Let's go and see lots of different sites. If you could pick out three sites in that in that Bronze Age period, what would be your your hit list? Oh, my hit list! Oh, come. Um, <laughs> I would do it differently. Then I would take. Okay. 
Ah, this is a really very tricky question that I wasn't at all prepared for it. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> that means, does it mean that I never really ended the uh, postcast that you did before? Because I never really <laughs> heard this question. You may have just uh, put your foot in it. Oh, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you mean it wasn't gripping? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> To be fair, most most people are fast asleep by this time. <laughs> no, <so>. no. <laughs> <laughs> I say it's my my son was was crying. That's why I had to go. <laughs> to oh, good, good. Yeah, that's just, I mean, we can't argue with those those things. But also, yeah. just on on that point, Derek, you just made the anyone listening to this episode's just been woken up by you as you get really close to your. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Hopefully, I can fix that. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think I would go to um, Ebla in Syria, in middle of Syria, mm-hmm. and I would go to Palmyra, also in Syria, and the last mm-hmm. one okay. I think it's my British uh, <laughs> loving or spending much time in Bournemouth with the Stonehenge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic fitness yeah <laughs> oh they're all great oh well thank you so much for your time this evening and for joining us from another country um with the lack of internet and i think that we've it's worked out quite well all things considered so, and, and the time difference i'm sure it must be quite late there so we should probably let you uh think about preparing for the next day <laughs> no thank you very much for having me it was really fun to chat with you and uh, no yes, oh, sorry about all the uh, technical issues. No, no, it's all good. It gave us an opportunity to test out a new system, which uh, it, um, yeah, that's you never good. know we may use again. Thank you. As, as Lauren says, thank you so much for joining us. And just very briefly before we let you go, obviously, you're still relatively early in your career. So what's the next step for Awa? What's next on the, uh, the career in ruins list? To continue. Continue, yes. Mm. Now, um, fingers crossed, I'm having uh, an interview soon, so I hope that things will be fine. And I want to continue in the uh, in the bioanthropology, uh, but I'm slightly moving more to teaching uh, wish. Yes, I would like to. It's time to to share something with the. Uh, with the young generation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, that's a fantastic move. And I, for one, would be envious of your future students. So uh, uh, best of luck with the interview. And thank you very much. C- come back in 10 years time and update <laughs> us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See you. <laughs> we'll put some more juice in the time machine and uh, give you another ride. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's it then for the final season. This, this not a final season, but a final episode of this of this season. Was <laughs> that a Freudian slip? Watch this space. Have we fallen back? But thank you to everyone that's listened in and tuned in to this season of Career in Ruins. It's fair to say the numbers that we've seen are far greater than anything that we've seen in any other season that's still somewhat taken aback by the enthusiasm the interest the instant sort of social media engagement we get with post episodes of people sending us links to videos that we've mentioned or or uh, sending us maximum Derek gifts please send us more of those we love those um, <laughs> but a huge thanks to everyone who's listened to all our participants um it's been a brilliant 
brilliant season one of my favorites for sure and um also a huge thanks to everyone that supported us on patreon today as we keep saying certainly the large majority of these episodes have been funded through you guys which is an absolute treat for us because whilst we do love doing it we also like spending the 30 to 50 pounds per episode to, on uh, on feeding our families or going to the pub <laughs> yeah so um so whilst we do enjoy it and it's our pleasure it's it's even more of a pleasure if it doesn't cost us any money so thank you everybody and a final shout out and yeah. heads up for no, a week you. friday so we're recording this on thursday the 10th of march on the months of merging into one already but next friday which is so the, the friday after this podcast comes out on the sunday so yeah that'll should, be this friday. friday should i just say the day 18th friday the 18th of march that would have been much quicker <laughs> easier than eric um first time team comes out yep yeah and people can see our mugs on the telly box or, or a computer screen or however they consume their youtube material yep it is free and with any luck we might just be on it but we'll see <laughs> let us know what you think let us yeah, know what yeah. you think and uh, for the in the meantime we're gonna go and um hide behind some pillows until some teams died down yeah see see what people think <laughs> and then we might see you for another season before the end of the year <laughs> cheers everyone cheers